Hello and welcome uh, to our next part in our series looking at the Gospel of Mark. Um, so we started last week with part one which Don delivered and today we are continuing the story. Um, so today's talk is called The One Who Has Authority. So my name's Darren and like many of you I'm sure one of the things I'm really missing in this ongoing, seemingly endless season of lockdown is the freedom to just go to the cinema. You know, I love that sense of anticipation as you enter the cinema hall, you grab your seat, you snuggle up, the lights go down, and you're getting ready for a couple of hours of pure escapism as you're about to watch a film that you've been looking forward to. Maybe you've heard your friends talk about it or you've seen the trailer, you've read some reviews and, you've, and you're ready, you're poised to just enjoy a bit of peace as you immerse yourself into this thing that you've been looking forward to seeing. However, have you ever found yourself caught short when you're in the cinema? In other words, you've had to make a swift exit, perhaps to answer the call of nature, or because you are parched with popcorn and you just need to get a, a drink very quickly. But the trouble is, what if you're in the middle of the film and it's really good and you don't want to miss any important bits? So you tend to wait for a dull moment so you can slip out, slip back in again without you having missed anything. Have you ever experienced that? I certainly have, sad to say, on more than one occasion. The thing is, if the Gospel of Mark was a film that had been released in the cinemas, you wouldn't have the luxury of a dull moment in which you could escape the cinema room and then come back in. Because the Gospel of Mark is tautly written, fast-paced, action-packed, from start to finish, there are no dull bits. There are no, there are no boring bits in it. You would not want to miss a second of it. So you'd be in real trouble if you had to leave the cinema room at that point. So today we are carrying on with the action and we are still in Mark chapter one. Today, we are looking at verses 21 to 28 and I'm reading from the NIV today. They went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. So as mentioned, the title of today's talk is The One Who Has Authority. But what is authority? A dictionary definition is the official power or right to give orders, make decisions and enforce obedience. 
having presence and the ability to command or influence. Now, have you ever heard anyone teach with authority? What stands out about someone who does that? What sets them apart from people who don't have authority? In the case of a teacher who teaches with authority, you could say they have knowledge, position, and presence. So knowledge, a teacher can't teach somebody about something they don't know about. A driving instructor couldn't teach you to drive unless, you, unless they knew how to drive a car themselves. Position, a teacher with authority would need to have a recognized status. They would need the authorized right to be able to teach. And they would need presence. Their words would have to carry weight and have real impact. Now, in verse 22 of the passage we've just read, it said, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. So clearly there was a difference between the way Jesus was teaching and the way that the teachers of the law were teaching. Now, the teachers of the law may well have had knowledge. They may have understood the old, the old writings and, and, and texts. They may have had position. They may have been recognized as teachers of the law. They may have had presence. They may have had fancy robes and standing in the synagogues and in their communities, but they didn't have the same authority as Jesus. So what set Jesus apart from the teachers of the law? Well, the simple answer is that Jesus was a king and not just a king, he's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the anointed son of God, the prince of peace, the Messiah, the holy one. He is on a whole different level of authority and the people could recognize that. They could see just the way he was speaking and his demeanor. There was something very different about him. He was on a, on a, on a far higher plane than anybody else and they recognized it. He is the king, he is the anointed son of God, the holy one. So we could just end it there, couldn't we? Jesus has authority in a way that no one else does. But let's spend just a few moments looking at some of those other aspects, knowledge, position and presence, because Jesus had all of these things in abundance. So let's start with knowledge. So we know that Jesus had great wisdom and knowledge, even from a child. In the book of Luke, chapter two, verse 46, during the feast of Passover, when Jesus is absent from his parents for three days and they go looking for him, they find him in the temple courts debating with the teachers of the law. It says in the scripture, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So Jesus is at the age of 12 here and people are amazed at his understanding and his wisdom. How did he know so much at such a young age? Well, again, in the same book of Luke chapter two, but in verse 40, a few verses earlier, it says the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. So he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him, even at a tender age. 
And throughout his ministry, Jesus often referred to the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Jesus was intimately acquainted with all the laws and all the old scriptures. And significantly, when he was tempted in the desert by Satan, Jesus quoted Deuteronomy to him. He actually used scripture as a weapon to combat the attacks of the enemy, which says so Jesus was really modeling behavior here that we can really emulate by getting hold of scripture and using it as a weapon, which in Ephesians 6 declares that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. See, the Bible is not just a book. It's a sword of the spirit. It's the living word of God. It's God speaking, God speaking to you, God speaking to me. It's a wonderful, it is the most powerful, impactful thing ever, ever written on earth as it will come to the, the, the impact of the words. So Jesus had knowledge. He also had position. So as mentioned, Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but he, he knows it. He absolutely knows it and isn't afraid to declare that. In Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not some authority, not just a bit of authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he declares. And in John 14, verse six, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, Jesus declares, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Now, that would be the most audacious thing to say if it wasn't true. I mean, it's been stated before that Krishna said he could show you the way. Buddha said he could enlighten your knowledge of the way, but only Jesus said, I am the way. Jesus had that the authority to declare that. He had position and he was secure in that position. He knew who he was. He absolutely knew and was not afraid to declare it. So he had knowledge, he had position and he had presence. You know, as mentioned, the Bible being the, the sword of the spirit, if you look at the Bible, it's just one book, one book, big book, admittedly. But if we consider it in relation to all books ever written, if you were to take the entire published output that, that, that's ever been written and you were to tally up the impact that those other works have had compared to the Bible, the Bible far outweighs any impact that anything else has ever produced. So the more weight your words carry, the fewer you need. Every word in the Bible has real power. Every word that Jesus spoke has real power, the power to transform lives. His authority is obvious, even to demons. In this passage here, in verse 24, they say, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And when Jesus commands the spirit to come out of the man, come out of him, the evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The evil spirit came out with a shriek. The evil spirits were terrified of the authority of Jesus. They cannot stand before it. They have to flee. They are terrified. And the people are so amazed at what they're seeing that they ask each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. So 
What does that mean for us today? Well, the great news is that Jesus is alive and well. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. And his authority hasn't changed. Now, I remember uh, this this passage here talks about the driving out of an evil spirit. I remember one time uh, I went to a Bible camp in Wales. I was about 16 at the time, pretty cynical 16 year old, if anything, been to quite a few church meetings and so forth. And I thought I'd kind of seen it all. And, and you know, they hadn't really connected with, with what, what a passage like this could mean. And then in this worship meeting that, that I was attending during this Bible weekend, there was a, a guy, very nondescript guy, he came onto the stage and he was praying and, and he felt the presence of God was in the room and that things were going to be happening in the name of Jesus. And I was sitting in the back row, as I was, and just observing this stuff, not really paying that much attention until the power of God started working in the room. And in Jesus name, I saw people being healed of sicknesses. I saw people being healed, being um, delivered of evil spirits. I saw people weeping with the joy and freedom of release. And I just saw the whole atmosphere in the room changing from one of bondage to one of liberation. And it was all being done in the name of Jesus, by the power, by his, by his, under his authority, which brings me to Mark 16, verses 15 to 18, where Jesus says this, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes in this baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. So that passage is talking about some of the stuff that I saw when I was 16. And I've seen, I've seen a number of times since that in the, under the miraculous authority in the name of Jesus, lives are transformed and miracles do take place. And it's always under his authority. In Luke 10, when Jesus sends out 72 helpers to go out and carry ministry out ahead of him, two by two in the villages, they come back to him and they say, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. It's always in the name of Jesus. And in Acts 16, when Paul rebukes an evil spirit from a fortune telling girl, he says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her again. The key is the name of Jesus. It's always his authority that reigns supreme. You know, so this week we've seen the inauguration of a new president, President Joe Biden. And I saw in the news that one of the first things he did when he took office was he signed a number of executive orders. Just his signature on some bits of paper, which have overturned some of the legislation of the previous Trump administration. As the president, his name carries such weight, such authority that all he needs to do is sign his name. Signs his name, it becomes law. That's it. How much more weight does the name of Jesus carry than a president's? A president whose authority covers just one country and is just for a short term, whereas Jesus is the king of kings and lords of lords, whose authority, his authority over all of heaven and earth and is eternal, his name has the ultimate authority forever. 
So question is, how do you feel now in this very challenging time for all of us? Is the flame in your heart at risk of being quenched by the, the storms of, of what's happening around us? Understandable that we could lose hope, that we could lose heart, that we could feel battered by the ongoing, seemingly relentless trouble that we're seeing all around us. Health, economy, relationship breakdown, physical, mental health, emotional health. There are so many ongoing struggles that we're facing right now. But I would encourage you that the name of Jesus is the one who has authority over all of these things. If he has authority over evil spirits, he certainly has authority over coronavirus. He certainly has authority over any variation of coronavirus. There is nothing that isn't under his authority. In the, the message translation of 1 Peter 3.22 says this, Jesus has the last word on everything and everyone from angels to armies. He's standing right alongside God and what he says goes. What he says goes. So there is nothing that can escape from being under the authority of Jesus. He is the king and we don't understand what's going on, but we know he does. We don't have all the answers, but he does. So we put our hope and our trust in him. The last book of the Bible, Revelation. In the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, Revelation 22, Jesus declares, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. His authority is all-encompassing and is supreme. As I say, nothing can escape from being under the authority of Jesus. So he is the one we should put our trust in. Let's rekindle our, our hope and our faith and our trust today. Let's remind ourselves, let's refocus our gaze on him. For he is the one who loves us and is supreme and is in ultimate control. You know, as I was reflecting on these truths as I was preparing for this this message I found myself really sleeping very peacefully <laughs> over the last few nights and I know the reason is because I've taken these truths and kind of wrapped them around me like a duvet and I've been sleeping and waking up um, free from any kind of worry or anxiety because I know that the more I dwell on these truths the more that they sink into the heart knowledge we may you know, this time it takes the heart time to catch up, doesn't it, with the head. But allow, the, allow these words to, to really, the words of, of the Lord and, and his promises to really sink into you. And just declare them every day. Just declare them over yourself, over your family, over your life. And the final thing I will just leave you with is this little prompt. Jesus has the final say. So trust him. He's the one in authority and he loves you.